My, my first uh, Sunday at Highland uh, was Easter Sunday morning, 1991, and now my first uh, Easter Sunday with you will be Easter Sunday morning. So I welcome this morning to Easter Sunday. Today, more people will attend church than any other Sunday of the year. Not just a few extra people, but a, a significant extra number of people will be attending uh, services. That's why you're having two services here today. Uh, Sean asked me last week, do, do you mind doing two services? I did four at Highland. I did one on Saturday night, three on Sunday morning. But by the time I got to the fourth service, I was preaching on Moses and the ark. Yeah, I was done. I mean, I was done. But anyway, here's the question that I ask myself, if no one else. I wonder how many people that attend Easter Sunday morning know, what, know who Jesus really is. I wonder if they really know why he died. And I really wonder if they know the significance of Easter Sunday. What does his resurrection actually mean to us as Christians? Most people, if you ask them, what is Easter Sunday morning? They're going to say, well, that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and, and he's going to take us to heaven when we die. Mm, that's partially true. Well, it's more than partially true, but that's not all of it. I want you to turn your, with me. To, see, some of you have already turned to 1 Corinthians 15, haven't you? Resurrection. I mean, well, let's, let's turn to Romans 14. Let's turn to Romans 14. And I'll begin reading in the seventh verse, Romans chapter 14. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lives again. Now listen, he's fixing to tell us why Christ died and rose from the dead. For to this end, Christ died and lives again. That, and that's a statement of purpose. That he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. If you were to ask me, Pastor, write down this, the, the, uh, in, in what, you, what you consider as the central message of the Bible. I mean, from, Revel, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, what is the central message of the Bible? Again, people would say, well, it, Jesus saves. Yeah, but how can he save? Because he is Lord. So if you ask me to write down the central message of the Bible, th this is what I would say. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's look, turn over with me to Philippians for just a moment. Philippians chapter 2. And listen to what Paul said about Jesus. Beginning in verse uh, 9. For this reason also God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those, uh, those who are in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Remember, he's the Lord of those alive and those who are dead. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm convinced that everything that Jesus did, and 
probably everything he said when he was on this earth, he did to validate his lordship. Now let's make a distinction today, if we can, between saviorship and lordship. I mean, we use that terminology, don't we? Well, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, right? Okay, but let's make a distinction between those two this morning. Okay, first of all, his saviorship has to do with the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. He was raised and that uh, he has the authority to forgive us of our sins. Okay, that means he's our Savior. He's forgiven us of our sins. But what does lordship mean? Lordship means to acknowledge his authority and submit to his control. Now let me say that again. If Jesus Christ is not just your Savior, but he's your Lord, then you have acknowledged his authority and you have submitted to his control. Again, listen to, listen to the verse we read a moment ago. Listen to verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord. Not just Savior, but Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Again, I believe everything that Jesus did, he did to validate his lordship. He validated his lordship over nature. One day he was on the, uh, a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm came up. One day I was on the Sea of Galilee in a ship, and believe me, a storm came up. And I remembered this verse of Scripture. So the disciples panicked and they ran. You know, he was on, the Bible says he was asleep under the boat, down in the bottom of the boat. So they woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care if we perish? Now, before we're too critical on them for saying that, haven't we said things like that before? Lord, don't you know I'm sick? Lord, don't you know the financial situation I'm in right now? And don't you care? So, Lord, don't you care if we're about to perish? And the Bible says that Jesus got up. He rebuked the disciples, thank you, for their lack of faith. Thank you. And he spoke to the wind and waves, and they obeyed him. And the storm ceased. Why did he do that? He was validating the fact that he is Lord over nature. What about of the physical realm? You know, he opened blind eyes, he unstopped deaf ears, he healed lame bodies. Bodies obeyed the voice of Jesus, validating the fact that he is Lord even of the physical. You know what he still is today. He also validated the claim that uh, he was Lord over the spiritual realm. One day four men uh, had a friend that was paralyzed, and so they wanted to bring him to uh, to Jesus, because they knew Jesus could heal him. So when they got to a building, perhaps, uh, if you've been to Israel, they don't look like this, but they were, it was a significant building, probably a house, and the Bible says it was full. So full that they could not get him in there. Well, they could have easily given up. Said, I'm sorry we tried, but we couldn't get you in there. But they were determined to get their friend to Jesus. So apparently they propped a ladder against the house, and they were they got up there and they began to tear the thatch roof apart. Well, I can just hear the congregation. I told you those little neighborhood kids are going to tear our building up. Look at them up there right now, tearing our building completely up. But then they lowered their friend on that cot down in front of Jesus. 
And when Jesus saw him, he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the religious crowd, the Pharisees, got all up at, mad about that and said, well, oh, who is this guy to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. But you know what they didn't realize was he was God. He was God in human flesh. And he had the right to forgive sins because he took sins to the cross with him. Or he was going to take sins to the cross with him. You know what? He still could forgive sin today. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he showed his realm as lordship over the spiritual world and also over the, uh, the eternal world or the world beyond this life. The Bible says that Jesus had a friend by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus got sick, and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, sent word to Jesus, said, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Well, they thought, you know, he'd jump up and be there in 30 minutes. We always think, as soon as we ask Jesus, he's going to jump up and do it right then, you know. Our time, not his. So, but for some reason, Jesus tarried. And when he finally got there, Lazarus was already dead, been in the grave four days. And so Martha, she went out to meet him. She said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, often we blame God for things that God didn't do. God didn't bring death into this world. He brought life into this world. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. It's the thief that brought death into this world. But about that time, her faith kicked in. She said, Lord, but I know that even now, whatever you ask the Father, the Father will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. And she said, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. He said, Martha, you're standing in the presence of the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he died, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, who's come into the world. Show me where you put him. So they took him to a grave. There was a stone rolled in front of that. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, wait a minute. You're going to tell me a, a guy that can raise somebody from the dead, been dead four days, he can't move that stone by himself? There's some things that God requires you to do before he'll do what he can do. Okay? You have to exercise your faith. So he said, move the stone. So they moved the stone. And the Bible says that Jesus lifted up his voice and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And I know that you hear me always, but because of these people that stand by, that they may believe that you have sent me, Lazarus come forth. If he hadn't called him by name, he'd have emptied the cemetery. He would have emptied the cemetery. And then the Bible says, he that was bound hand and foot with grave flows came out, and he said, loose him and set him free. All these things that Jesus did, he did to confirm his lordship. And when, and we, when we receive him, we receive him as our Lord and as our Savior. Turn with me to Romans. Uh, Rome, well, I'll just quote Romans chapter 10. 
that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now look, listen to what that said. If, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, or one translation, or the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. When you receive Christ, you don't just receive him as Savior. You receive him as Lord. Now, you may not understand all that's involved in lordship, but we receive him as our Lord. Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 12, I beseech thee therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed which is where we get the word metamorphosized, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So we, when we come to Jesus and we see him as our Lord and Savior, we present our body to him as a living sacrifice. Now, I've always kind of equated getting saved kind of like getting married in a way. And I'll tell you what, what I mean by that. Let me grab this real quick here. Man cannot live by bread alone. I have this. Uh, I got married when I was 23. Can I say I didn't have a clue what I was doing? Not a clue. I did not grow up in a Christian family. I did not have a, someone to model love for me. But uh, we knew we were in love, and uh, we'd been dating for all, all of five months. No, six, I'm sorry, it was six, six months. And I remember that day, Ross Avenue Baptist Church, uh, I stood up there, scared to death, and the preacher said, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? If I ever do your marriage, I promise I won't use the word take. You don't take people, you receive them. Do you receive this person as God's gift to you to be your wife? But anyway, he took, he used the word take. He said, do you take this woman? And I remember saying, I do. I didn't know what I did. <laughs> but I do this. I, I, I remember the next 51 years of my life, I tried to, I, I figured out what it meant to say, I do. And I found out it meant something every, a little something different uh, as the seasons passed. But I'm standing there on that stage, 23 years old, saying, I do. I never envisioned it would mean one day changing a diaper or spoon feeding my wife. But you see, when I made a commitment to her, it was until death shall part us. And I made that same kind of commitment to Jesus Christ when I was 20 years old. In sickness and in health, Lord, I will follow you. So getting saved is more than just praying a prayer. It's more than getting baptized. It's, it's receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord. It's lordship. Again, what is lordship? Lordship is acknowledging his authority and submitting to his control. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. I've noticed it many times uh, when you go on Highway 84, when you leave Woodway, before you get to McGregor, if you're going toward McGregor, there's a sign over there that says, Jesus is Lord. Anybody ever notice that? This is yes, and this is no. 
Raise your hand if you've ever noticed that sign. See, people see those signs. What does it mean? A non-Christian drives by and sees the signs of Jesus as Lord. What's that mean? No, no clue. But it should mean something to us as Christians. It should mean that Jesus is no longer just a resident in our life. He's president of our life. That means Jesus Christ is not just a passenger in our life. He's the pilot of our life. When I was saved, I really didn't realize all that. I really didn't. I didn't realize that I was turning my life over to Jesus as Lord, but I did. But I did. Uh, listen to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Let's see. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and that you're not your own, but you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Notice what he said. He said, When you get saved, your body is no longer your own. Your body has been bought with a price, and you're to acknowledge God with your body. In other words, He, live, he lives in us, He comes in to take over, you might say. Now I know people that'll say something like this. This is their attitude, whether they verbalize it or not. Well, listen, this is my life, and I'm going to live it any way I want to. Okay? Now that's true. You can, it's your life. You can live it any way you want to. As long as you understand, that attitude will not get you to heaven. It won't get you there. When Jesus comes into your life, he comes into your life as Lord. You don't say, well, it's my life now. I'll do with it as I want to. You say, Lord, what would you have me to do? We're blood-bought, purchased. In fact, the Bible says he, he died to pardon us that he, in order that he might be able to purchase us. So let's go back for a moment to the text about the fact that uh, he, he died to be our Lord. He purchased us. Now, there's a huge distinction between Christian faith and some of these Buddhisms and all these other things. For example, if you're a Buddhist, Buddha, Buddha doesn't come to live in you. When I was in Hawaii, the largest statue of Buddha outside of uh, Japan is in Hawaii. I went up there, and I just thumped him as hard as I could, and he was hollow. Nothing there. But a Buddhist doesn't say, Buddha lives in me. They don't say, Mohammed lives in me. Confucius lives in me. But the Christian says, Jesus lives in me. Amen. And that makes me different. So, it's not an imitation. You know, when I, when I first got saved, I was zealous for the Lord. and um, I wanted to do everything he did. So I tried to imitate him or mimic him. And I, and I found out real quickly that his shoes were too big for me. I couldn't do what he did. But he showed me this. Barry, you can't do what I do, but I can do what I do if I'm in you. When your life is totally surrendered to me, I can do everything I did on earth. And now I can do it through you. So what does that realm of his lordship cover real quickly in our lives? 
Most people divide their lives into two sections, the secular and the social. Uh, our, our social life is what we do during the week. But our spiritual life is what we do on Sunday. So we, we go to church on Sunday morning and uh, then we walk out of the church on Sunday morning and we switch back into the, the secular life again. But that's not the way it should be. Our spiritual life should govern our life. It should govern our secular life. It should govern everything. But So when I was 20 years old and I got saved, intuitively I knew that God had more for me than just, you know, being saved. He, he, wanted, he wanted my life. And so I literally graduated about 84 out of class of 89. About four other guys that kept me from being the dumbest guy in high school. And uh, when, I went to, when I went to college, I took freshman English three times before I ever passed it. I graduated from high school in 62. I graduated from college in 70. <laughs> took me a long time to get through that. But I said, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I don't care what I have to change. I don't care how long it takes me. I'm going to give my life to you, and I want you to use it. Now, let me justify that a little bit. That's not totally true because I graduated from Dallas Baptist University in 1970 because that was the first graduating class in 1970. So, not as dumb as I look. I mean, I'm not totally dumb. But I started preaching before I went to seminary. And boy, here's what I'd preach. I, I was so legalistic. I said, look, Sunday's God's day, and you need to give, you need to give God that day. Don't you even go out to eat on Sunday. That's pretty legalistic. Now, the rest of the week, you do what you want to, but you make sure you give God Sunday. And then I uh, preach on the tithes. Tithes of the Lord's. You give God his 10%, then you do whatever you want to with the other 90. See, I, I was preaching partial truths, but I wasn't preaching the whole truth. Because the whole truth is, every day is his day. All of our income is his income. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. So whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him to, and to the God the Father. And then verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily unto the Lord rather than to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward, the inheritance it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And so I discovered that uh, I was preaching a partial truth when I told people just to give God Sunday. No, God wants Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He wants the whole, he wants all. He, he owns it all. So let's draw some conclusions. Jesus, can Jesus Christ be your Savior without being your Lord? I think you can do that if you don't understand lordship. You've never been taught. You say, well, look, when I, when I get saved, I'm to commit my life to Jesus Christ. But to say that you can be saved without making Jesus Christ your Lord is not taught in Scripture. It's not taught in Scripture that you can live like the devil all week and 
smell like a Christian on Sunday morning. It's not taught in the Bible that you can live your own life and reject Christ, and then one day he's going to take you to heaven. If he took you to heaven in that condition, you'd be the most miserable person in the world. You'd be up there with all those worshiping Christians and people that love the Lord and people that walk with God and serve God, and you'd be miserable. So God's going to do you a favor. He's not going to take you up there and make you miserable unless you have been born again, saved, and committed your life to Him as Lord and Savior. Again, you can, you can be saved and not understand that. I, don't, I didn't understand that at first. And, and I remember very distinctly, very distinctly, when I really made Jesus Christ my Lord. No one taught me that I needed to do that. And uh, this was back during the charismatic movement, and charismatics I thought were crazy and doing some stupid stuff. And so I'd get up on Sunday morning and literally attack them and enjoyed it. And one Saturday night in my office, God said, you've been attacking my people, and you're not going to preach another sermon until you ask them to forgive you. That's the night I made Jesus Christ my Lord. That's the night at midnight I found myself knocking on doors, saying, I've taken God's love letter, and I beat you over the head with it. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me? Now let me summarize this. Jesus died to purchase us. He rose to pardon us. And he lives to possess us. And if you think there's another way to get to heaven than through that, I'm going to say, good luck. Good luck. You're going to need it. but you don't have to live by luck. This morning you can say, Lord, I think some things maybe got clarified a little bit more today. And I understand that you did die on the cross for my sins. And I understand today that you have the power to forgive me and to cleanse me as if I'd never sinned. And today, Lord, to show you how much I appreciate what you've done for me, I just want to commit my life to you. What did Paul say? He said, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, Christ is dead in vain. The Christian life is simply this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The greatest decision I ever made in my life was the day that I got down on my knees and said, God, if you're real and you can do what you say you can do, would you come into my heart right now? Would you forgive my sins? I didn't know how to say, make me, uh, make you my Lord, but I did it. Would you do it today? How would you like to walk out of the building today as if you'd never sinned? Say, preacher, oh, wow, that sounds, that sounds too good to be true. That's why we call it the good news. It's the good news. You can walk out this building today as if you've never sinned. Why? Because Jesus took your sin to the cross. 
and he paid for it. So one day you can stand before him as his child. Will you stand with me?